Welcome back to Rick's Rambles. It's the week of July 19th, 2021. I hope you've had a fantastic weekend and you're going to have a great week. Let's get right into our fun facts of the day. Fun facts. Today's fun facts are all about the National Road, otherwise known as US-40 in many places. It runs right down the center of Indianapolis, where I am. So Thomas Jefferson and George Washington believed that a trans-Appalachian road was necessary for unifying the East and the West. First up, in 1806, President Thomas Jefferson signed the act establishing the National Road. It became the first federally funded road in U.S. history. Number two, this was the second U.S. road surfaced with a macadam process, a simple and effective way of constructing and protecting roadways using crushed stone. The first portion of the National Road was the Cumberland Road. Construction began in 1811 in Cumberland, Maryland, and ended in 1818 in Wheeling, West Virginia. A series of toll roads and turnpikes were constructed in 1824 to connect Cumberland, the eastern terminus of the National Road, to the city of Baltimore. Then in the 1820s and 1830s, Congress authorized extending the National Road to St. Louis and then across the Mississippi River to Jefferson City in Missouri. Construction of the National Road stopped in 1839 because of high maintenance costs and Railroads were providing long-distance, cheap transportation. Wheeling, West Virginia, the Wheeling Suspension Bridge that carries the National Road across the Ohio River was completed in 1849. It is the oldest vehicular suspension bridge in the United States that is still in use. In the early 1910s and 1920s, use of the National Road was rejuvenated by the growth and use of affordable automobiles, particularly the Ford Model T. And then in 1926, the National Road was designated the eastern part of the U.S. Route 40, a coast-to-coast highway running from Atlantic City, New Jersey, to San Francisco, California. There you have it, a few fun facts about the National Road. This week's good news story comes to us courtesy of the Good News Digest, and it's called A Stitch in Time. Sewing is a craft that's been passed down through the ages, from mother to daughter and from father to son. Traditionally, it's served as one of the few consistent sources of income for women, especially marginalized ones. Margaret Jankowski learned to sew from her mom. As an adult, rather an avocation than a vocation, It wasn't something she pursued full-time, but she enjoyed doing it enough that she taught sewing classes and created clothing for her first child. In 2004, in the wake of a devastating tsunami that devastated Sri Lanka, the story of a woman whose dream of becoming a tailor was dashed after spending years saving up to buy a sewing machine struck a chord that resonated with Jankowski. I could easily make a living without my sewing machine, Jankowski said. That wasn't true of this woman. Inspired, Jankowski made a spur-of-the-moment decision to find a way to get some sewing machines to Sri Lanka. Her original thought was to simply get a hold of a few used machines and send them on. But when she outlined her plans on the local news, the project took a life of its own and donated machines started rolling in. 
In 2015, the first shipment of 25 boxes containing toys, medical supplies, fabric, and sewing machines were distributed between five orphanages in India and Sri Lanka. In addition to creating clothing, the machines were used as learning tools to teach the children an occupation they could put to good use later in life. Since then, the sewing machine project has rehomed 3,350 sewing machines to recipients facing a variety of socioeconomic challenges, resulting from a variety of causes from war to natural disasters to generational poverty. After Hurricane Katrina, hundreds of machines were delivered to New Orleans Mardi Gras costume makers. They've also found their way to Guatemala, Kosovo, and closer to home with families and facilities and halfway houses for women trying to overcome drug addiction. As valuable as learning to sew can be as a source of livelihood, whether you're sewing to make something new or repair something old, creating something beautiful or something strictly utilitarian, being able to say, I made this, is an affirmation of self-esteem that can be truly life-changing. Nowhere is that more true than in a pilot program in Rankin County, Mississippi, that the Sewing Machine Project serves. Inmates at the Central Mississippi Correctional Facility began turning out backpacks filled with reusable menstrual pads and undergarments for girls in countries who often found themselves unable to attend school due to the lack of sanitary items. Since its inception, Director Renee Smith has seen a definite shift in the participating inmates' attitudes. They know they are making a difference in the life of someone else. To me, that's huge. The Sewing Machine Project, which is based in Madison, Wisconsin, accepts sewing machines of every brand. The only caveat is that they must be in working condition. The Brother Sewing Machine Company recently donated 500 machines, 25 of which went to Zaman International, a Detroit area nonprofit serving marginalized women and children, many of whom are immigrants and refugees. Jankowski currently fields 10 to 15 emails every week from international groups looking to receive sewing machines. Having started the program almost on a whim, she initially had no idea just huge how huge this demand would be. She says the funds aren't available to supply everyone who asks at the moment, but she hopes in the future the program will be able to meet the growing demands. As with many charitable programs, the parameters of the COVID-19 pandemic has forced a shift in the way the Sewing Machine Project operates its outreach. But here, Jankowski is especially hopeful. One of the many gifts I've received in leading the Sewing Machine Project is the opportunity to see not only the need that exists all around us, but the creative ways in which people and organizations work to address that need. Resiliency, bending and swaying in the face of challenge, shows up everywhere. We adapt. We look to one another to support. Together, all of us are working to meet the needs of those who can benefit from the healing power of sewing. And while the tradition may not be seamless, I'm sorry, I had to throw a pun in there, The Sewing Machine Project plans to continue its mission to make the world a better place 
one stitch at a time. And there you have it, our good news story for today. I started my 65th orbit around the sun just a couple of days ago, and it's given me some time to think about my personal belief system and my personal theology. And, you know, it really has not changed a lot in 65 years. It has always been to spread hope, to spread love, to spread smiles, and to leave the world in a better place when I leave than when I got here. I hope you have the same mission. If you would like to have a part of my mission, there's a couple of ways you can do that. First of all, share this podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever you might be. Let folks know what you're listening to. And the second thing is, if you'd like to buy me a cup of coffee, that kind of helps with the internet bills and so on and so forth. You can do that by just going to buymeacoffee.com slash Rick Garrett, and that is much appreciated. Well, I haven't done a nostalgia segment for a couple of weeks, and a couple of you have emailed in to let me know that you missed that, and I appreciate that so much. So today we're going to take a look back 40 years ago this year, 1981. June 12, 1981, Raiders of the Lost Ark opened. Remember that movie? August the 1st, 1981, MTV went on the air for the very first time, and that's when they actually played music. On September 25th, Sandra Day O'Connor became the first female Supreme Court Justice. The number one movies of the year. Number one for the entire year, Raiders of the Lost Ark that we just mentioned. Number two, Superman 2. Number three, 9 to 5 with Dolly Parton and all those people. Dabney Coleman played the boss. He's one of my favorite actors. Number four, Stripes. And number five, Arthur. The number one TV shows from 1981. Number one, Dallas. Remember all those nighttime soap operas from the 19, late 70s and early 80s like Dallas and Falcon Crest and Dynasty? Well, Dallas was number one. Number two was 60 Minutes. Number three was The Jeffersons. Number four was Three's Company. And number five was Alice. I love Alice. I love that show. And the top five number one songs selling for the entire year of 1981. Number one, Betty Davis Eyes by Kim Carnes. Number two, Endless Love, Diana Ross and Lionel Richie. Number three, Lady by Kenny Rogers. Number four, Just Like Starting Over, John Lennon. And number five, Jesse's Girl, Rick Springfield. So there you have it, by special request, a nostalgia segment for today. Y'all know that we are owned by a number of pets here in this house, and so I looked up for calendar year 2020 what the 10 most popular pets in the United States were. Number one is dogs, and I'm a little surprised because I kind of thought it would be cats, but clocking in at number two is cats. Number three, tropical fish. Number four, Reptiles, including snakes, lizards, turtles, and tortoises. Number five, guinea pigs and hamsters are tied. Number six, pet rabbits. I don't know many people that have pet rabbits, but I always thought they were cool. Number seven, this is a surprise to me, pet poultry. Any of y'all have chickens? I've always thought that would be interesting. Number eight, pet livestock. Have you seen the miniature horses? Those things are just adorable. I love them. Number nine, ferrets, another very cool animal. And number ten, all others including tarantulas, scorpions, 
and crabs. There you have it, the 10 most popular pets in 2020 in the United States. And here we go, our special days for this week. Today, Monday, July 19th, is National Daiquiri Day. Tuesday the 20th, International Chess Day. How many of y'all play chess? It's also National Fortune Cookie Day, and it's National Lollipop Day. Boy, I don't know how long it's been since I've had a lollipop. Wednesday the 21st, National Hot Dog Day, and it is National Junk Food Day. Thursday the 22nd is Mango Day. By the way, here where I grew up, we always called green peppers mangoes. Anybody else do that? Friday the 23rd, National Vanilla Ice Cream Day, and it's also Peanut Butter and Chocolate Day. Saturday the 24th is National drive Through Day, and it's also National Tequila Day. And we'll wrap up the week on Sunday the 25th, National Hot Fudge Sunday Day, and also National Wine and Cheese Day. Have a great week, everybody. And that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of Rick's Rambles. Hope you enjoyed the show. Please take a moment, share it on your social media. And until next week, be kind to as many people as you can, as often as you can. We'll start right now, and we'll make the world a better place.